You've probably heard or learned, I guess I should say, by now that I'm a guy that watches YouTube a lot. And uh, there's a YouTube channel uh, that I've watched a few times, and it's, it's basically a, a YouTube channel that says uh, that uh, exceptionally smart people do these things. And I watch that, and you're, I'm like most of the people I think that watch this, is because I want to prove that I'm a smart person. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? And what they do is, and this is my opinion, I don't know this for sure, but what I think they're doing is they're picking characteristics that everybody does, and then they're saying, you're highly intelligent if you do this. You know? And you know what happens when you do that? You hear about this, you say, oh, I'm highly intelligent because I do that. And then it keeps you hanging on because you're going to say, well, I want to see what the next thing is because I might be highly intelligent, you know? And it, and it doesn't seem to have any relationship with things like highly intelligence. I mean, it's almost like, you know, if, if you pick your nose, you're highly intelligent. Well, everybody does that eventually, you know what I'm saying? So the, the thing about it is, is that I think that's how they, they put it together. And so I, when I was thinking about this title for this message, you know, it takes a good father. I was thinking, you know, maybe it would have been a, a better idea if I said the, the six characteristics of highly effective fathers. I think maybe that would have, you know, been a better title for the thing. And what would happen is, because I think that a lot of you dads probably are doing the things that I'm mentioning on this thing. And you're going to say, I'm a highly effective father. I'm a good father. And it's not a bad thing to know that you're a good father. But on the other side, there may be some of you that you're saying, I don't do those, these things that are here. Well, here's where you are. I don't care if your kids are grown. You can always start now. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You can always start now. You don't have to say, well, it's just too late for me. There is not any too late. So you can just start now and see the difference that is in your life. So when I was looking around, you know, I was looking around because I'm, you know, I'm trying to come up, you know, a new Father's Day sermon. You realize this is my 19th Father's Day sermon here. I'm running out of people to, you know, pick out. You know what I'm saying? Picking out of people in the Bible. And I was looking at the story, specifically, I was uh, looking at the story of Abraham and he's, he's trying to find a wife for his son Isaac. And I said, well, maybe he was a good father. If he's going to this length. So I went backwards in his life and I said, what would make this guy a very good father? And this is how this message came out. And I realized these are some things about Abraham that you can have. Now, some of these things are not gender specific. In other words, some of these things women need to do too. But let's look at this thing this in two ways. One, you dads, I can do this. The other side of it is, I had a dad and I need to praise him for what he has done. So that's the story in this. So let's look a little bit at Abraham. I'm going to start off with the, the, um, the point first and then explain it to you. First point, a good father knows his purpose. Now that's not your profession. Do you understand? I think that a lot of people thought they were going to read Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life and it was going to tell him exactly what profession they needed to get into and therefore that profession was going to propel them into something that was incredibly wonderful. It was going to give them this, I, this is the push that I needed to get into the greatest uh, you know, wealth or whatever else that they wanted or prestige or whatever else they wanted in their life and that's not what it was. You see, your purpose 
is not your profession or when you retire, you lose your purpose. Do you understand? If, you, if, if your purpose is your profession, then you retire, you lose your purpose in life. But the, your profession may be a vehicle to do what your purpose is, but it doesn't make it your purpose. My purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ that are like Jesus. And my first purpose in that purpose is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that is like Jesus. I must do it first. I must do it as I am doing it as well. Understand that. And I, you know, I want to make a disciple then therefore that is like me because I want to be like Jesus. That's exactly what it is. Abraham's purpose was to be a great nation. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall, and in you rather, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, nothing in life is in focus until you know what your purpose is and you're doing your purpose. Only God can give you your purpose. I cannot do it for you. Let me tell you how I came about my purpose in making disciples. Uh, It was probably 1985, I think it was, or maybe 86. It was somewhere in that uh, neighborhood. Uh, I went to Glorieta, New Mexico. Glorieta, New Mexico used to be a place where uh, Baptists had a big encampment there and you would go there for a, you know, a week or whatever it was and you would go there and you'd have these incredible speakers and such. Uh, the Baptists no longer own that. They sold it for a dollar. Boy, aren't they great negotiators. Anyway, they sold the whole camp for a dollar. But regardless of that, I went there because, I'll be very, very honest with you guys. I went there because the church would give me two weeks a year that I could go to conferences and I wanted to go to Glorietta and just relax. So I went to a conference there. It was on discipleship and there was Avery Willis who was speaking there. And Avery Willis had written this stuff called Master Life. And I went there and and Avery uh, Willis told us that we needed to get away and find out what God wanted to do with our lives. And so I decided I'd do that. I had a whole afternoon to do this, you understand? Somehow I got on the roof of one of the buildings at Glorietta. I don't know how I did that. I mean, if you get on the roof, I can tell you nobody will bother you. There's nothing up there. So I had a chair. I don't know how I got the chair. I got a chair up there. And I sat there with my Bible and I sat there for hours. And in that, God spoke to me. Now, here's the thing about it, folks. I didn't go up there and say, God, you speak to me right now. And he said, okay, I'll tell you. That's not what happened. I sought him and I sought him and I sought him for hours before this happened. And then God spoke to me very clearly telling me you are going to be a disciple maker. Let me tell you what happened to me. I started doing that. I went back to the church and I started discipling people. I had groups and I put those groups together and I discipled people. And I kept doing that until I became a senior pastor. And for some reason, I forgot about it. And I went the next 20 years or so without doing it. And a few years ago, you think we came up with something new at Thaliland. No, this is my old self going back. I got to go back to my purpose. I got to get back to my purpose. We need to be a church that makes disciples. I need to be a disciple maker myself. That has to be true, by the way. And I got back to my purpose. Now, here's the thing, folks. I cannot give you your purpose. 
I cannot tell you who you are, but I can tell you, dads, you need to know what your purpose is. He said, you are the spiritual leader in your household. And the way you live shows the purpose God has for you. So I'm asking you, are you willing to get somewhere with your Bible, spend some time alone, quietly, and just seek God and say, what do you want me to do? What is my purpose? Now I'll tell you, God is not going to hide it from you. But I will tell you something else. God's not going to waste his words either. In other words, if you're not going to do it, he's not going to tell you. Understand that. You better be ready to do it or just don't expect him to tell you because he's not going to waste his word. Now, this applies to everybody, not just to men. This applies to everybody. Secondly, a good father obeys the Lord. You don't become a good father just when your child arrives. You are, you become a good father before that child is even born. And I know that when a child is born, it's kind of eye-opening for a lot of men. You know, it's at that time that they realize, I can't be a boy anymore. I got to be a man. I mean, I realize that happens for some men. And so some men drastically change when their child is born. But it is better to be the person of your purpose that raises a child, raising it according to that purpose than the way that you just wander around in this process. And it's a process of obeying the Lord. In Genesis 12, 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, as the Lord had told him. You see this? It says, And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, I'll tell you that Abram's, his obedience wasn't perfect. But here's the thing, folks. <laughs> Mine's not perfect either. Yours isn't perfect either. Let's be honest about this. But obedience reveals our character. Now, Isaac's not even born yet in this process. But I'm sure that Isaac is going to hear the stories from Abram. That story is going to go like this. And the Lord God spoke to me. And he told me to take my family and go to Canaan. And I obeyed him. Not because I knew what was there, but because God told me to go. I can hear the story coming out of him. Maybe you don't understand the gravity of what happened here. Maybe you've been in the Navy and you've moved all over the place. And you really don't think of a place that when you leave, from it, leave it that you're, you're kind of being torn away from it. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe that is your story, even if you have been in the Navy and, and that is the case. But but when I, as a minister, uh, we'd already moved back and forth a few times before I really realized what this meant. You see, we moved from Texas to Tennessee, to Texas to Tennessee, to Texas to Tennessee. Do you understand? We went back and forth to here. Okay. But when we were in Brentwood, Tennessee, and you hear me give a lot of illustrations about Brentwood, Tennessee. That was six years, very formative years for my children. My oldest child, Melissa, went from the second grade through the eighth grade during that time. My middle child went from first grade to the sixth grade. And my youngest went from kindergarten into the fifth grade. Only six years, but very important six years. I took a lower salary at the church that I went to into in Texas and I moved my daughters into a more volatile type of a school than they had been where they were and my heart still longed for Tennessee 
be honest with you. I made a home there. And that was the situation that I, I was in. Let me say this to you. You want to obey the Lord? God will test you to see if you will obey him. He will test you to see if you will obey him. He's going to take that which you might say, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And God will test you. Dads, you will be tested. If you want to be a godly dad dad who obeys the Lord, you will be tested. And let me say this to you. Your test won't happen just once either. Oh, and by the way, uh, I got over Tennessee. (laughs) Understand, this is home now. In fact, as I told my wife, I said, you know what? We could move back to where you grew up when I retire, to Abilene, Texas. She said, are you crazy? <laughs> I don't want to leave. I want to stay right here. So that's, this is, I'm afraid that you're going to have to see me around until I croak, but that's the way it is. Third thing, a good father has faith in God when all circumstances reveal something else. I realize that. All the circumstances reveal something else. Genesis 15, 3. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. You, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and the number of the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here's the important part. And he believed the Lord and he, that's the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. So if Abraham couldn't have a child, then his chief steward would get everything that he had. There's kind of an illegitimacy in that process because he's now, he's going to give it over to someone who's not even of his household. So Abraham wanted a child more than anything else. This was to be the child of God's purpose. And God tells him that he will have a child. But then, like many of us, when we don't see God operate on our time scale, you know what we do? We try to work it out ourselves. We try to go around it. So Sarah comes to him and offers her servant to have a child. Abraham, with his wife's blessing, he consents. And when he can't see God's will, he's going to try to work it through his will. Isn't that the way we do it? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Look at it this way. You want something more than anything else. So you go to God and you receive his blessing and he says you're going to receive it. When it doesn't come around, like I said, in your allotted time frame, what do we do? One, sometimes we stop believing. We just don't believe it's going to happen. We lose that, that understanding that it's the Lord's will, it's going to happen. Or we try to work it out without God. And that's disastrous. It was disastrous for Abraham. Scripture says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Our own reasoning against God's will results in untold disasters. When we believe that we can have salvation by working it out, You know, we're going to work our way to salvation. We end up with damnation. When we determine that we can borrow the money that will give us the things that will give us joy, we have despair. 
And when we try to accomplish God's will apart from his power, we have disaster. You see, it is a way that may seem right because it's going to give us what we think that we were promised, but it isn't. It's just us trying to work it out. So number four, a good father rejoices over the birth of his child. Now, most of you dads probably did a pretty good job about that, and your dad did too. So you told people with joy. I remember my first child was born, and I leaned over in seminary. I was in seminary. It was 8 o'clock class. My daughter was born at 6 a.m., so I had an 8 a.m. class. I went to class, and I leaned over and told my friend Mark, who is, by the way, is the guy that recommended me to this church. I said, Mark, I said, Karen had a little girl at 6 a.m. this morning. I didn't pay attention. The setting right behind me was Mrs. Dilday, the president of the seminary's wife, and Mrs. Baker, the professor's wife. They were auditing this class. And as soon as they heard me say, Karen had a little girl at, eight, at 6 a.m. this morning, they said, your wife had a child and you're in class today? I went, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm going to be the first person ever kicked out of seminary for going to class, not skipping class, for going to class. And so, but here was the thing, folks. If I didn't go to class, who was I going to tell? The nurses didn't want to hear it. They had babies all the time. You understand? There's nobody down at the hospital I know. But at seminary, there were people I knew. I wanted to go tell people. That's what it should be when you have a child. You want to go tell people. Now, here's how it happened for Abraham. Genesis 17, 16, it says, uh, God is speaking. It says, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now, let me say this to you. Men at a hundred years old might laugh. I don't know too many 90-year-old women that are going to start laughing over that. I'm going to have a child at 90 years old. Think about that just for a moment. So what happens here? Genesis 21, 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. In Hebrew, Isaac means he laughs. He laughs. Think of this. You know, Sarah would say in Genesis 21, 6, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. I had a friend that, um, or I have this friend, and uh, his wife was killed in a car wreck, tragic accident. And about two years later, he remarries. Remarries a woman in her early 40s. Had no children. He calls me up. He's 50 years old. And he says, I'm going to be a father again. Now, I was the one that was laughing. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. And he, all I could hear him on the phone was saying, McGoldrick, McGoldrick, 
McGoldrick <laughs> when he was trying to say, stop laughing. Because I thought, at 50 years old, better you than me is what I was thinking. Anyway, dads, your child needs to always know that they bring great joy to you. Your dad, dad, you need to let them know that. Now, it's hard to do so when they're not doing what you want them to do, right? And it can be frustrating, but in, even in all of that, they must know that, that you love them so much and you're, you just have a joy in their existence. You see, dads, we need to rejoice over our children always. Fifth one, a good father teaches his child to worship. See, I'm going to, this is a kind of roundabout way to get to this point, but I'm going to get there. Let me just stick with me for a moment. Abraham has been given a child, or given a, a command from God to sacrifice his child. He gets the materials and he heads off to Mount Moriah. It's a three-day journey. And when he begins to go up the mountain, Isaac says, in Genesis 22, 7, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamp for the, lamb for the burnt offering? How does Isaac know that? How does he know what the formula is? He knows it because he has seen his father perform this before. He knows it because he's gone through this before. He knows that there is the wood. He knows that there is the fire. He knows what's going to happen. And he says, where is the lamb? This is the situation. Now, I'll give you a little bit of, of um, uh, history in all of this. The burnt offering meant that you had a total commitment to God because the whole thing was burned up. The whole thing was burned up. You didn't get anything out of it. It was burned up. It was a burnt offering. It was total commitment. And Isaac knows this because Abraham has taught him. Now, let me say this. He knows this because he's watched his dad worship. And many dads don't worship. They don't. They come to church only when they must come to church. They're forced to come to church. They do not sing. They do not participate. And they have no worship in their homes either. See, worship should be a commitment that forgets the values of this world. It doesn't matter what others think. It doesn't matter how you evalu- that they evaluate you according to your commitment. Your child needs to see this in you, dads. So Abraham will take Isaac up this mountain. No doubt, Isaac knew that he was the child of the covenant No doubt, Isaac saw his dad in a complete commitment. But the faith of Abraham is seen in the faith of Isaac as well. Abraham lays the wood on Isaac as they travel up the mountain. The wood necessary for a burnt offering is rather heavy. Okay? Understand. Isaac has got to at least be a teenager by this this time. Let's give him 13 years of age, and he's a strong 13-year-old. I mean, you're saying he probably is older than this. But the boy is complying in all of this. How do I know this? I can just about guarantee you that a 113-year-old man can't catch a 13-year-old unless that 13-year-old wants him to. You understand? 
There is no way that Abraham's going to be able to grab this child and overpower him and then put him on the altar in order to sacrifice him. Isaac has to have his father's faith or this does not work whatsoever. When you go to surgery, folks, there's, there's three things they give you. One, they give you anesthesia. One of them makes you go to sleep. Everybody thinks, oh, that's all that ever happened. You know, they don't, that's not all there is. There's part of it that, that you don't remember. And the third part is so you don't move. You know, it, it immobilizes you so that there's no movement there. Because if you, you move, your surgeon has a much harder time with a wiggling person on the, on the thing, you know. And we move in our sleep. So it brings us to a place where we don't move. What is happening here, Abraham ties up Isaac so he won't move, so he won't flinch. So this could be a clean sacrifice that is here. And what was Abraham's faith that is so evident in the life of Isaac as well? You find it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you see what he's saying here? What was in Abraham is in Isaac here. He can be raised from the dead. Now, Isaac might die, but he will be raised from the dead. Now, dads, let me say this. God will never ask you to sacrifice your children. See, he will never ask you to do what he has done forever in Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrifice is, uh, is the sacrifice that God has made. And it is the final sacrifice. But your worship will mean doing things that reveal your commitment to God. We often see that in missionary families. For they take them to foreign lands where the children do not have the comforts of America. They do not get the latest video games and they may not get the latest fashion trend. But you know what they do get? They get to see a true commitment of the family in the purpose that God has given to them. This is what they get to see. And dads, your children need to see you worship. Lastly, a good father does his best to keep his child in the faith. The time has come for Isaac to marry. And dad, Abraham, he knows he can't become a great nation if Isaac doesn't have any children. He must find a wife for Isaac that will carry him into the faith. And I'll tell you this, this is the second most important decision that you have. Besides, behind salvation, who you marry is the second most important decision. Because your spouse will either help you or hurt you in your walk with the Lord. And that person can actually change your walk completely. Those who walk with the Lord will stop walking with the Lord. And those who have, um, sometimes, who don't walk with the Lord will walk even, well, they'll walk with the Lord. And those who didn't walk very well will walk a whole lot better. So this is the, the situation. So this is so important. So Abraham sends a servant to go to his own relatives to find Isaac a wife. It says in Genesis 24 two. 
And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. See, she needed to be of the same faith. Verse 6, Abraham said to him, see to it also, rather, that you do not take my son back there either. I want him here. I still want him here to walk in this faith. They needed an atmosphere to foster the faith. So the servant finds Rebecca, who is Abraham's great niece and Isaac's second cousin. Now, I want to tell you something. That seems strange to us, doesn't it? Marrying your second cousin. But in history, it has not been strange. Did you know that Martin Van Buren, President of the United States, John Adams, President of the United States, Edgar Allan Poe, which is, you know, an author and such, H.G. Wells, an author, Charles Darwin, and many others married their first cousins? This is a second cousin, and by the way, it will not cause any genetic problems, by the way. But they had this common ground in order to make a marriage and to continue in the faith. Now, did Bethuel... Her father had the same faith as Abraham? Probably not, or we would have heard a whole lot more about him. But at least there was a basis for this faith. So Abraham wanted a wife for Isaac that was at least, had a great leaning toward the faith for him to stay in that, that same place of faith. And so the house of Abraham had all come to this faith, stay in this faith, creating this nation for God. Now, I know that there's a lot of dads, a lot of dads, and you may think you're the only one, dad, but your child is not walking in the faith. I understand that. And I will tell you that there are more of you than there are not. I would have to say that. And somebody has, or you maybe even brought it up to yourself, you come up with this scripture and you've looked at it and you said, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And you as a dad said, I must have done a poor job. I must have not trained him up the way it is because he's not, he's, he's departed from it. I want to say this to you, a couple of things, dads. One, God will not rip away your child's free will. No matter what you have done, God will not rip away your child's uh, uh, free will. And beside, and, you know, by your best efforts, we must allow our children to make their own decisions. The only thing we can do is create an atmosphere. And we can pray for them. And I mean pray hard. But we create an atmosphere and we pray for them. And this word here from Proverbs, this is a principle, not a promise. People are trying to take this as a promise. And it's putting a a lot of of parents under a a strain because they think that they must not have done it right. If If this is true, they must not have done it right. And the answer is they may have done it exactly right. And they still can have a child that does not walk with the Lord. So what you do is you create the best atmosphere for your child to follow in the faith. And let me tell you what you really need to do more than anything else. You be real at home 
when nobody's else around. You really be the believer that you're supposed to be. You be real at church. You don't matter who sees you singing. And by the way, it doesn't matter how bad you sing. I remember going into First Lubbock one time, came in late on a Sunday night, and there was a guy, and I could even give you his name, but I, there was a, I was sitting there, and there was the worst singing I ever heard in my life. This guy was singing at the top of his lungs, and he's about two rows behind me, and it was one of those things where you don't want to just turn around and look, you know, because you're afraid that you'll embarrass the guy, so you're doing one of these, you know, you know trying to see him, and, that, and I saw that man, and there was such a smile on his face, and I said, this man is worshiping. And I don't care what my ears tell me. This is beautiful. And it is beautiful when you sing like that, dads. It is beautiful when you show it to your children. And you show your child. Let me say this. You're not just a fan. You're a follower. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. I will say to you, dads, not, don't be a good dad. Be a great father. Be a great one. Pray with me.